Wow. So since uh, I, I got an email, I think I shared with. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> an email. Um, wonder if that's from Philip. Actually, we haven't gotten pictures yet, but uh, I've heard from a couple people that are in Haiti currently. Things are going great. Um, Pastor Lafleur is. Uh, he said it's been, I, I, I guess basically this was Philip's words. He said, everywhere I turn, it's something else that Conduit has paid for, which is pretty awesome. Like the stove, the refrigerator, that, you know, we're just, um, there's, it's, I guess what's cool about it is that this is someplace that, like, I've never been, you, you know, I guess maybe nobody in here has actually been there, um, exception of Bethany, who went last year. To, to know that that's going on is just awesome. Um, it was, a reminder to me what Jesus meant when he said to make friends for eternity with your money, um, which is that we're making friends with these children, these grown-ups, that we're not going to maybe even meet the side of heaven. Some we will, but some we won't, and we'll know them in heaven. It says that they'll be our friends there, that we'll may have made friends with them. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see where we go from here. Um, I did issue a little challenge through the email. Nobody unsubscribed, so that was good. Uh, financially, just to see, because we've got so many folks that have uh, joined us online through the blog, through the email, through uh, podcast, um, that I just wanted to issue that challenge to whoever ha- happens to be, because apparently somebody like in Iceland, in China, in Israel, we've had downloads like from all over the world from our podcast, so it's pretty amazing. Iceland, I know, I was like looking on the map going, when the heck is that country? Is there people there? And then there's some place so far north in Canada that you wouldn't think there wouldn't be humans there, but apparently there are humans very, very north, like the northwest circle of uh, Canada somewhere. So um, I don't know, you know, who they are or where they're coming from, but, you know, the Lord is... Uh, it's why I wanted to get to share this in recording, so, you know, if anybody happens to be listening. It's like ham radio, like back in the day. Um, when we last met... Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, uh, my mom was still sick, and uh, I got a call the next day. We were doing conference calls. I actually had to leave the office because, you know, you got these 20-year-old, uh, 25-year-old young kids that are working in the office, and they're hearing me in the other uh, room talking about, like, you know, death and, you know, chemo and all these things. Yeah, I might ought to leave because I think I'm freaking everybody out, and I had the door closed, but I, I, I went home that afternoon, and uh, spent the afternoon at my house, and and I had some advice from somebody who had lost their mother and father, actually, and he said, go with your gut. He said, I don't care what the doctors, when anybody tells you, go with your gut. And so that afternoon, we had this conference call with the nurses, and they said, um, you know, her kidneys are failing. We talked about the medically induced coma. Do we go that route? And we decided we needed to do that. And she said, we'll get any business you need to get done. Go ahead and you can get it done. And by, you know, if you come Monday, then she should be fine. And um, we're not fine. She said she would, you know, be, have lost consciousness. But you know, if you want to be here, that, you know, that would be the time to come. And so I went to bed that night. And we, you know, Shannon and I were talking. We just felt like we really need to go. And so I left that morning and did another um, 12-hour, 900-mile drive. Which, for the record, if you, if, you, if you set it at 82, okay, and limit your stops to bathroom only, uh, and I mean like a sprint, okay, to the bathroom and, and gas so that you can do that in 12 hours. And you only get two speeding tickets. In fairness, two warnings, okay, but um, 
and two warnings, right. <laughs> well, just different various times. Um, it was like somebody put a, I was telling Brad, it was like somebody put a bullseye on my hood going, stop me, stop me, you know. Uh, <laughs> in fairness. But no, one of them was in the minivan, right? Yeah, right, and one warning and one ticket in the truck. So, and I haven't got a ticket. Now, keeping in mind, this is how I always drive, okay? This isn't like some new thing. But, um, Shannon's like, yeah, that's true. Um, but for some reason, I don't know, it was just a weird week. Like, literally, like, they'd, like, set out, like, okay, there's going to be this dude. He's coming down. He'll be there around, you know, at 10 o'clock. Just be waiting for him. Um, so, anyway, made it in 12 hours. I got there at 8 o'clock, and my mom was, uh, was already unconscious, um, breathing deep. But, you know, we stayed there for a while, and, and we uh, were... Um, we just didn't know because they were, you know, and they told us it was going to be a while, but she didn't look well, but this is what they told us she'd look like. So we're like, all right. Um, so about midnight or so, my brothers and I take it over to, they have this, uh, this uh, adjoining little room that they called the guest house. It was kind of like a hotel uh, attached to the hospital. And it felt everything like a hotel until you laid down and you felt the <laughs> of a plastic pillow and those cruddy little blankety sheep sheets that you see in hospitals, you think, man, how do this is not comfortable. These people, you know, they're not making these people comfortable. Um, but that's what we were sleeping on. So, like, that's, that's your realization that this is a hospital. So, about one o'clock in the morning, the phone rings, and it's my brother who had got that shift for the night. I was we'd parsed out our shifts, and mine was the next night. And he said, "Hey, the nurse is here. Her oxygen levels have dropped. Uh, so we don't know what to do." I'm like. I need more than that. So what, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> does that mean something? Because um, we don't know. I mean, I'm so new to this dying thing. I had no idea about the, the terminology. And so I get the nurse on the phone. She's like, well, it's a sign that it could be, but it's probable. We don't know. So the, and the thing about this process is the whole suspense. It's like, well, do I? Now what do I do? Because you're looking for somebody to give you like, oh, here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. And here's when it's going to happen. And unfortunately, they can answer none of those questions. They can give you mm, kind of guesses. So we went ahead and called my oldest brother who had drove 90 miles home, had probably gotten there like an hour before, who had just got to bed to come back. And um, so that was about one. We got over to the hospital and, and her breathing. And I remember my dad that night said, as we were leaving, going back to the uh, the hospital tell, or ho, ho, hotel spittle, um, <laughs> the hotel spittle, uh, saying, man, her breathing was really bad. I wonder if, if something's going on. And, and I remembered that breathing from the morphine stuff, so I didn't think anything of it. So anyway, long story longer, uh, my brother gets around two. Her breathing is kind of labored, and now it's like her oxygen levels have dropped, her heart rate is up, and her blood pressure is low, which they say is because your body doesn't want to die, so what happens is that it's fighting your heart, which is an important organ, is fighting for air. And so, thus the reason that the blood pressure is down here and the heart rate is up because it wants to, to live. And I wrote that in the, the journal. I was actually fascinated by that because death is an enemy. Uh, it's our enemy. It's God's enemy. And even your body at its most primal form knows that and doesn't want to die. So... Her heart rate's up. Now, the problem with this whole thing that I'm having is that it wasn't the way it was supposed to be, meaning that they told us that her kidneys were going to fail, and then she would slip into a coma, and then she would die. And, you know, for me, it was like I had, at that point, I'd had one prayer left, and that was, God, just let it go quickly, because I don't want her to lay here. There was a guy down the hall, like two doors down, who was like some 85-year-old farmer who had been 18 days with no food, no water, 
just IVs, and like multiple different times, like this is the moment, everybody's gathered around, his feet are blue, his lips are blue, and then like two hours later, he's still alive, and he's cussing at his son, um, out of, you know, it's, it's medically, they talk about this happening in your mind, but like it was from like 20 years ago, yelling at him about like colostrum milk from the cow or something, you know, and you could hear him out in the hall, and so I'm thinking, I just don't want that, you know, God, and I'm, you know, I've had some really honest conversations with the Lord, and, and that was one of them. And so to this day, and I, I'm going to at some point have a conversation with a nurse to try to figure this out, because her kidneys never failed completely. She just stopped breathing. And so, um, and, and if you read the email, I'm sorry to, to, uh, to, to rehash this, <clears throat> but what was so amazing to me, because, I, you know, again, I've been looking for God in this whole process, right? Thinking, okay, Lord, I'm just looking for a sign of where you are in this thing to, to bolster our faith. And we wanted to have, be a good witness. We wanted to, um, to, uh, to, to have uh, God be glorified in this process somehow. And so we had stayed the whole night. Her breathing had become labored. And it was like, I asked the nurse, okay, help me understand because... Uh, it, it, you know, if you've ever been around, I'd never been around a situation like this. So every time she'd breathe and then she'd stop, we'd all be like, you know, is that it? We'd be gaining eye contact with everybody. Is that it? Is that it? And then she'd breathe again. And so I'm like, okay, I just need somebody to tell me how this works. Because if, if this is going to be the way it is for like the next day, we're going to, you know, have our own personal heart attacks waiting. Um, so she explained to me how it was going to go, which is that she'll, her lungs are going to fill with fluid. She's going to basically drown. She won't know it because she's unconscious, but it'll be uncomfortable for you to watch. So we all kind of like, even though that was not what we wanted to hear, um, we at least knew we didn't have to wait every time she stopped breathing, right? Except that that's not how it happened. Because that was the time when I prayed, God, I don't want to see that. If, if, if we can do, you know, you can work something out on this one. And again, just to share to nothing else for the sake of the podcast, because I know I've written this, it, it was as real as anything I've ever experienced. Because at 7 o'clock... My brothers went for breakfast because they told us it could be another day like this, and we're remembering the old guy down the hall who's 85 and still kicking and cussing. And, and so at 7 o'clock, I kind of laid on the futon, and this little angel nurse came in. Her name is Arlene, and she would come in, and she would pray with my dad and with my mom. And, and, and uh, she was one of these little Holy Ghost-filled ladies that went to the church down the street with a woman pastor. And, and she would come in, and she would pray. And so she did that morning. And so I'm laying on the futon. I'm kind of half awake, doing some emails, trying to keep up, thinking I got a whole day of this. And uh, 7.40-ish, I remember my dad praying with my mom, which I'd never seen before. And for me, it was an interesting moment because my dad is kind of a relaxed guy. He's kind of passive, not necessarily the spiritual leader you're looking for in the house. He just likes to go fishing, likes to, you know, work with his hands and likes to sit kind of like a cat, you know, so we'll sit here for all. It's kind of my, I used to joke that my mom and dad were like cats because they'd go here and they'd sit for a while and then they'd go over there and they'd sit for a while. <laughs> That's kind of how they spent their latter years, you know, they just go sit for places like cats do. Anyway, um, and so, but my dad, I could hear him praying with her saying, you know, Lynn, it's okay if you need to go, you know, just know that your boys are going to be okay, we're going to be okay, and he's, you know, maybe he's praying, and, and, and I guess Arlene, the Holy Ghost lady, was still there. I was laying down, so I didn't see her, um, and the only reason I know that was because then about 7.50, when I was woke up, it was because Arlene had got the boys, because my dad said, it's time. I know it's time, 
and no gurgling, no drowning. And I'm like, you know, completely catatonic at this point because I've been awake for a long time, like 27 hours, I think, at this point. And with the exception of that 10-minute cat nap. He goes, I know, it's time. And it was weird because the feeling in the room was different. Like, I just got up and it felt different. It felt weird. It felt like God was there. And my dad says, I know, it's time, it's time. And so we're all, I'm by the bed and, and she's not, again, not breathing hard, not drowning, not anything. And she stopped breathing through her mouth and she started breathing through her nose and 7.53, I said this in the thing, but a little text message came across. The, the woman pastor from down the street had woken up from a dead sleep because she'd been there earlier that night for a lot of the night. And all she said was question marks because she'd shot up in her bed and thought something was happening and wanted to know what it was. Um, that was 7.53. That's when my mom started breathing through her nose. And two minutes later, she breathed her last breath. And it was like the most beautifully crappy thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like it was this moment of like, oh my gosh, she's dead. And then it was like, oh my gosh, but God is here. It's, I don't know how else to explain it. I wasn't freaked out. My dad didn't lose it. Like he was like, he had taken charge of the room. He's like, I don't know. I just knew. It was like God himself came into the room and told me that it was time. And then he took her home. He didn't cry about it. I mean, he was, there was tears, but it wasn't like that kind of, you know, weeping, bawling stuff that you heard at, at, in other hospice rooms. Because, you know, that's basically what this was, was a place where you go to die. And so you would see these things happening, and you'd know when it was because you could hear it down the, you know, down the hall. It wasn't like that at all with us. It was um, strange because I'd never been, you know, when you've never been through a process, you're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. And at one point, me, the logistics guy, I'm like, well, now what do we do? Do we call somebody? Do we, I mean, you, can't, you don't need to call an ambulance. You're already at the hospital. I don't know what to do, you know. Um, but the nurses had come in by that time. Arlene was there. She was praying with everybody. The nurses were crying and hugging everybody. And, uh, and I've gotten a couple of emails since that moment that uh, we were a testimony to both the hospital and the skilled care facility that they said they'd been talking about that was just this amazing family that had been there and how amazing, and it's, they wish, uh, the words they said, which is kind of weird, but we wish all deaths could be this way. The whole family was there. Everybody, there was no fear. There was no, like, you know, drowning or suffering. It was just like it was her time, and the Lord came and got her and took her home. Um, we went through the whole process. I actually didn't put this up because it was kind of personal as far as the blog, as far as the funeral process and picking up the casket and all those crazy things that you don't ever think about doing. But I did feel, you know, I told my wife the night before that, you know, I feel like I should say something at the funeral. When else am I going to get 200, you know, of my people, you know, the Trans Ams and Camaros and Leonard Skinner people that I am, you know, all in the room. When else am I ever going to get a chance to say something to these people, my people? But right now, except I didn't want to get up there and make a fool of myself, right? And like blubber and do, you know, some weird thing. And, and so... um and Shannon was like appropriately giving me good wife advice, which is even if you cry, you can still do it. It doesn't matter. You don't have to, you know. I'm thinking that's easy for you to say, you know, you know. You know what I mean? I just don't want to get up there and be like no control, like those, you know what I mean? Girls like the crying, like that, <gasps> you know, that kind of crying that guys aren't supposed to do. Um, <laughs> and I didn't want that, but this weird thing happened. I'm at the funeral. They have wheeled my mom's body down to the front the pastor starts preaching and I just think I can do it. And it wasn't me. It was totally the Lord. I scribbled some kind of notes while she was talking. Who's a female pastor again. I don't know what it is with Nebraska, but um, 
in a different female pastor. Um, so I'm writing some, just scribbling a couple of ideas and thoughts and thinking, I'm just going to go do this. And, and I'd given the pastor a heads up, 50-50 shot, I might say something. And so I get eye contact with her, and I'm like, I think I'm in. I think I can do this. And, and I just, it was totally the Lord. I stood up in front of this room um, and, you know, addressed them as my friends, as my family. What, you know, honestly, I think what the Lord had put on my heart to say. And it's not like I was, it's funny because I think people might think I was in denial or something because I didn't cry. It wasn't that. It was like I had this out-of-body experience where I really felt like the Lord was speaking through me to this group of folks what he would have to say to that group of folks. And even right up to the end where I literally, I, I tapped, you know, the coffin and said, I'll see you in a few minutes, Mom, and, and walked off and thought, okay, the Lord again had shown up. And, and again, I've, I got a call from the pastor who spoke and said that, you know, all over town, all they can talk about is how amazing this funeral was and how they wish all funerals could be this way. And, and, and the only guy that actually said anything to me about the, this talk or speech or whatever, he called it a speech, um, was the funeral director who said, wow, you really got me thinking. He really challenged me with some stuff. Uh, you know, I, I've really been examining my life kind of statement to me. And I'm like, huh. Well, that had to be the Holy Spirit because the funeral guy, I mean, he's got that look in his eye when you just look at him. It's somewhere, it's kind of detached. It's the look of, I'll tell you what it is. It's the look of somebody who has seen things that you and I will never see, okay? That look of things where he just almost, you know, would rather us not know what he has seen, you know, in his life. That kind of calm, detached look that he has in his eyes. Um, and he said that, you know, that really challenged me. And so I guess what I wanted to share tonight was that, you know, my prayer was that God would get glory in this process and that I had a real interesting piece about the fact that I knew my mom was going to die to the point where I have a ticket to Africa, okay, that leaves on September 3rd. And I had called them at the moment my mom was diagnosed to say, I'm not going to go. Don't book the ticket. Actually, at that time. And a few days later, I just had this weird knowing that it was okay, and I actually called them and said, hey, have you guys booked the ticket? This was a Friday. They said, no, we're going to book it on Monday, so think about it over the weekend. And so by the Monday, I said, yeah, I just feel like, I feel like it's okay. Now, in my mind, I didn't know whether that meant that she was going to die before, going to die after, only that it was okay to go to Africa. Even my mom and I talked about it, you know, that it was okay, um, which was a lot of pressure because I, I, I had this weird feeling that I needed to be there when she died. I'm not sure if that's some weird, you know, Dr. Phil thing or what, but... Um, but I kept it. I just felt like the Lord led. And it just, I guess when I'm thinking about all those things, when I, and I, I'm going to write it at some point, all along the way, these little things that the Lord did through this whole process, starting with when we go to Grand Island, Nebraska, we were supposed to go to a town called Hastings, Nebraska, okay, to put a kidney stent in her. The problem was that that doctor refused to see her. Um, so at the last minute, they had to make a switch to Grand Island, Nebraska, which was the town where this other woman pastor who actually led my mom to the Lord 20-some years before that uh, from our little tiny town had just moved back to this town like six months ago to take over a church with her husband. We ended up being four miles down the street from this lady. This was a lady that inspired confidence in my mom. So it's like at the beginning of her spiritual life and at the end of her earthly life was this lady. She was the lady that sat up in bed with the question marks. I mean, she's just, that she spent the last three years, or 17 years of her life on the Indian reservations in South Dakota, pastoring three different churches with her husband. You know, she, this lady walks with the Lord kind of lady. So 
you know, just one of like many things, because we could have ended up in five or six different hospitals in Nebraska for some reason. This was the one, the only doctor that would see her was four miles away from this lady's house, like her front door. So all that to say, God uh, is good. He never stopped being good. Um, this earth that we live in is fallen and it's poisoned. It's interesting. One of the things that I think the Lord showed me was that cancer um, kills by t- a few things. It it steals from your body the resources needed, and, and it does it, and in doing so, destroys cells in your body, which ultimately kills you. And it hit me that the thief, Jesus says, comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. You know, I don't believe there's any such thing as a spirit of cancer. You know, like you see on the TV, I rebuke that spirit of cancer. And some people even prayed over my mom and rebuked the spirit of cancer. The only problem is there isn't one. Um, There's nowhere in the Bible. You can go through the front to the back. There isn't one. But it is part of the fallen nature of this world that is cancer, that disease that is, does exactly what the enemy, what Satan himself says that, you know, God said that he had come to do. And what I've learned, I think, most, and I'm going to turn it over to Brad, was this. Cheating death avoiding death, not dying, that's not biblical. Being born, biblical. Dying, biblical. It's appointed unto a man once to die. You and I, should the Lord tarry? You know, I've joked about it as a a youth pastor before that, you know, 10 out of 10 teenagers surveyed all die, you know, grow up and die. Because that's what we do. It's what everybody does. Everybody's doing it. It's like eighth grade all over again. It's biblical. And defeating death, which is what Jesus came to do, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, it's, when I was reading this earlier today, I'm thinking about what, what's the most important thing in faith? If you're, you're going to share your faith, you know, or if you're going to go and plant a church, you know, what is it that, that you would share first? And Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, the most important thing to share that he shared, he said, of first importance was, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. He goes on to talk about Jesus' resurrection. His first thing that he shared with them was not only that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, but that he was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15. But he goes on to say then in verse 12, but if we preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, I love this, then our preaching is useless and your faith is futile. So is your faith, it says. It goes on later to say your faith is futile if Christ had not been raised for the dead. And then he goes on to say, and this is what really is interesting to me, verse 18, then those who are have fallen asleep in Christ, are lost. Basically saying there's no resurrection. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ indeed, verse 20, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is 
died, my mom. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits was raised. Then we, okay, then Lynn Tyler will be raised, it says, uh, verse 22. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, again, Lynn Tyler, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of uh, kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. And it goes on to talk about that he's defeated death. Revelation 20, it talks about at the end, after the great white throne judgment, that the last thing that's going to be thrown into the lake of fire is death and Hades. They're going to be thrown. It's an actual thing. It's actually our enemy will be defeated at that moment. And what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at and what I learned, this, maybe it's not as profound to you, but it was to me, that avoiding death isn't the goal. Resurrection is the goal. And that I can't defeat death. Jesus can't defeat death in me, not by me not dying, but by me being raised again from the dead. By someday when he returns at this creepy old cemetery in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, in this forgotten town, okay, that my mom is going to walk out of that grave at that moment. You and I, should the Lord tarry, will walk again from our graves. And it actually goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection body, which I've joked about before, will I still have tattoos or, you know, will Brad still have holes in his ears? Um, in the resurrection body, in the, I've, I've never saw this before, but it says, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come in? Verse 35 says, how foolish, Paul says. What you sow, listen to this, does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. This body, and I've never thought of this until I read this and the Lord I think gave, you know, we, we've been talking about how to study the Word, how to, how to search the Scriptures, how to, how to approach the Bible. It really is a lamp to our feet. Because I saw in this, I saw my way through this, this disaster in our lives. And I saw that my mom, when we put her in the ground and put dirt over her, we just planted a seed that's going to grow into something that I don't know if it's going to look like mom now. I don't know. I know that we'll know each other because, I mean, we're not going to be dumber in heaven than we are here, right? But Paul says that, amazingly, it says that perishable, our bodies, our perishable bodies, our, like, fruits and vegetables, right? You buy them and they, if you don't eat them in time, they, they rot. Our, that, our body is dying right now because it's biblical that that is going to happen in our lives. But it is a seed that's going to be planted in the ground that will one day be resurrected into this imperishable body. I guess what I'm getting at, here's what I've learned. It's God's enemy is death. But the Bible says in Romans that in all things, God can work together for the good of those who love him. So even in the enemy of death, God can get in the middle of that and work for the good. Not just the good of that we have a testimony in Grand Island, Nebraska of this 
thing that happened or this, you know, the people that maybe have given their lives to the Lord in the funeral. Not just those good things, but the good thing of death is that my mom will raise again. And in that moment, death is defeated because she will grow from a seed. This body, this shell that's a seed inside of us is imperishable. And that, gang, is the lesson that I've learned, that this goal, and I guess that ultimately it was this, the goal of our lives, we live it all like this is it. We, 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 we play the game like this is the game, like everything we're to get is here. And all we're doing really is just getting ourselves ready to be planted, right, for this thing, this harvest that will grow on the other side of heaven. So just know that, you know, if you've read my blogs, I know some people sent me the man, are you okay? You know, um, are you sure you're okay? <laughs> I mean, really sure? I, definitely I had some questions and I had all of my answers here because God's word is a lamp unto our feet. I showed you in July how to search the scriptures. And then in August, I got to live it. I got to look at it and to go here because the tendency is to freak out, to panic, to, you know, stress. But when I went back here and turned the light on in that dark room, I saw God's will for our life. So I want to introduce to you my friend Brad Duncan. My-